Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit. We are now addressed by the living Lord through his living word. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. The figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand. And cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this full. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Friends, this is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us here this morning in these spaces, whether virtually or here at Holy Trinity Church. Father, would we know the Spirit of God at work in our hearts and minds, that you would illumine this, your very scriptures, to us even now. Father, thank you that in your great love you sent your Son Jesus to live with us, die for us, rise again for us and for our salvation. Do a new and powerful work, we pray this morning in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. We asked a question last week, and we're coming back to it this week. To what voices do you listen? To what voices or to what voice should you listen? 
This is a little bit of a twofer. If you were online or with us last Sunday, we were also from John's Gospel, which came to us at the very end, after Jesus was resurrected, his first resurrection appearance in John's Gospel to Mary in the garden. And Mary hears her Savior call her name. Thinking that Jesus was only the gardener, she didn't recognize him. Jesus says, Mary. And then she sees the one that she loves the one that has died and has risen for her. Like last week, will we hear Jesus' voice, which took me back as I was thinking about what to preach on this Sunday, to John chapter 10, Jesus talking about as himself, the good shepherd. Whose voice will you hear? What voices do you hear? We live in a world of a ton of different voices, right? Whether it's social media, whether it's media media, and let's face it, as much as I would love that the post-Sunday blues, preaching post-mortem and five golden things would fulfill all of your podcast needs, maybe you have some spare hours where you just can't, I mean, you can. And in fact, I recommend that you listen to the same ones over and over and over again. But many, many voices that we hear so often, not all of them are great voices, and sometimes we'll say to ourselves, I'm surrounded by so much stuff, so much content, so many competing voices that conflict with one another. I'm just going to unplug. And that lasts about eight days before we plug back in again. A couple of years ago, Elon Musk and a couple other people led a call to delete Facebook. And I heard somewhere that for the week after people said you need to delete Facebook, the highest Google search, the most searched phrase on Google was, how do I delete Facebook? But then, it only took a couple of weeks after that, where the most common phrase search on Google was, how do I reactivate my Facebook account? <laughs> People came back to it all over again. And at best, sometimes, all of these different voices, they may numb us out a little bit. Or worse, we can be formed and malformed by all of the voices among us. And those voices can be very, very shrill. So much pessimism, so much cynicism. A couple of statistics for you. I listened to a podcast this past week. I don't only listen to Post Sunday Blues and Five Golden Things, busted. But it was a guy that had just done a ton of research about how social media shapes us. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be on social media or that it's inherently evil, but let the consumer beware sort of thing instead. About three quarters of all of the extremist content that you'll find on social media are generated by only 6% of those that use social media. So a very, very small percentage of all of the people that are hyper-connected are responsible for about 75% of all of the ugliness. Negative voices are amplified. And we can also think, and I also heard this from the guy in the podcast, that will say, okay, if social media would get people out of their echo chambers a little bit more and bring people in contact with other points of view, that, that will moderate the voices and keep them away from extremism, which makes sense if you think about it, although apparently research shows that is exactly the opposite of what happens. It happens face-to-face -face contact. If you come and have a conversation face-to-face -face physically, with someone that has a different point of view than you, that humanizes the disagreement and you actually move closer to one another. But interestingly enough, research shows that the exact opposite happens in online interaction. 
if you're not that extreme, but you have an interaction with somebody who's a little bit on the other side of you, that will actually make you more extreme. Chances are, statistically speaking. And you can think specifically. What are some of the voices that have come within you this past week and have shaped you? Voices have formative shaping influences upon us. Or what about the inside voices? And I've, I've been told that I only have an outside voice and not much of an inside voice. That's not what I'm talking about right now. The inner voices inside of us. We live in a cultural moment where so much of what we're told and what people say is just be yourself, let it all out, don't, don't hold anything in, let whatever's inside come out which has its own internal logic to it, but at least for me, I'm with Henderson the Rain King. Classic reference here at Liberty Collingswood, the Saul Bellow novel from New Jersey, Saul Bellow, mid 20th century. No, he's not from New Jersey, I was thinking of Philip Roth, an honorary New Jersey. Anyway, Saul Bellow would talk this way about what's in his life and in his heart via Henderson. A ceaseless voice in my heart that said, I want, I want, I want, oh, I want. Very often for us, and that aligns with what the scripture says about our being created good and in the image of God, but also broken and sinful, that comes out, I want, I want, I want, I want. And again, when you're in a cultural moment where people are more fragile than they've ever been, but everybody is also told, let it all hang out all the time, we're going to have a culture of anxiety and angst that looks a lot like the one that we're in right now. And yes, should some of us use our voices more? Of course. But even for those of us that should use our voice more, across the board, we need a filter, right? Because there's a lot of ugliness, at least inside me. When I think about the power of voices, one comment struck me from a music critic talking about Howlin' Wolf, an OG listener of the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, a blues singer in the, primarily the 1950s. This is what one music critic said about how he sings. And if you haven't heard Howlin' Wolf, you've got to hear Howlin' Wolf sing. Because it's kind of like this. He had a voice like shattered glass being dragged over hot asphalt. It enabled him to register rage, paranoia, loneliness, and lust almost as a single emotion clenched into a taut vocal fist that punched like none other on earth. Dude could sing. But so often, my inner voice feels a little howlin' woofish. Doesn't sound as good, because he's a great singer and I'm not. But this whole idea of rage, paranoia, loneliness, lust, coming all together. Our voices can be used very aggressively. And isn't it true that our voices pack a punch? And again, isn't it true that we have been both on the giving end and the receiving end of such voices? And so we're wounded. We do look to better, better angels and better voices. But from the perspective of the scriptures, those voices of goodness and truth and justice those are echoes of God. Those are echoes of our good creator. The Anglican bishop, Nancy Wright, said this, 
The reason that we have a sense of memory of the echo of a voice is that there is someone speaking to us, whispering in our inner ear, someone who cares very much about this present world and ourselves. The Christian tradition has said that the glory belongs to God, the creator. It is his voice we hear echoing off the crags, murmuring in the sunset. It is his power we feel in the crashing of the waves and the roar of the lion. It is his beauty we see reflected in a thousand faces and forms. And that's the voice that we encounter again in Jesus of Nazareth. Whether you're here this morning as somebody that's a committed Christian or a skeptical of spiritual realities or still trying to figure all of this stuff out, the scriptures claim the one voice you need to hear is Jesus. He is the good shepherd who laid down his life for you and for me to transform everything. So three parts from here, from John chapter 10. Three quick parts. I held off on telling you at the beginning of the service that I was told before the service that the AC was struggling this morning. Now you know, in case you didn't already. I get it. But we've got this. Three parts from here. Jesus is the good shepherd who will have his sheep and we're called to follow. Jesus is the good shepherd who will have his sheep and we are called to follow. So a little bit of context here, almost smack dab right in the middle of John's gospel, one of the four narrative accounts of Jesus' life. And to pick up the story in Medias Res here just a little bit, Jesus in John chapter 8 says, I am the light of the world. And I love how this narrative is put together. John chapter 9, object lesson. There's a man born blind. And people wonder, why was this man born blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin? Jesus says back to those opposing him, no, neither this man sinned nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Jesus heals him. He sees. It's great. I once was blind, but now I see, said this man in John chapter 9. But that rankles the Pharisees, those opposing Jesus of Nazareth. And he starts to say something like this in John 9. That guy, he sees now but I'm not so sure about you. Maybe you're the ones that are blind. And that's when they sort of go, hey, wait a second. And then Jesus goes on to tell this story in John chapter 10 about thieves and sheep and a shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd of the sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, this is the very beginning of the passage, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, I've got to say that I'm generally recognized as a sheep expert. People always ask me, man of the sheeple. People always ask me about sheep. I, I get tired of talking about sheep, but because this is John chapter 10, I'll tell you a little more about sheep. The sheep hear the voice not of any shepherd, but of their shepherd, like Jesus says in verse 3. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Often in this context in the ancient Near East, there would be some larger sheep pens with sheep inside owned by a lot of different people, all mixed together. So you would have multiple shepherds sometime operating out of the same pen. But what do you know? The sheep that belongs to one owner, they're the ones that only hear this one shepherd's voice, right? So if you're a shepherd, going into that sheep pen, lots of different people's sheep, 
when you call out, if you're a good shepherd and you've been doing it for a little while, if you've put in your 10,000 hours, when you call your sheep, it is only they that come. It's only they that follow. And Jesus says, it's kind of like that with me and my children, with me and my church. And Jesus builds from that image from there in verses 11 and 14 and says, since I've gotten this far, let me tell you, I am the good shepherd. 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Or verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And when he says this, the opponents of Jesus, the Pharisees, are starting to tune in to what Jesus is claiming about himself on multiple levels, and they don't like it. Another, hey, wait a second moment. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, there is this biblical memory going back into the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, and they remember who the good shepherd was. That's old King David. King David was king, but then also he was a shepherd, if you know that story. And whether David or Jesus, sidebar here, we're used to thinking about those figures in terms of shepherds. There's schools, there's lots of things. Called, there's churches called Church of the Good Shepherd and so on. In its original context, when David was identified with a shepherd as king, that was new. And that was radical. Shepherds were lowly. They were poor. They were at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder. A king is a warrior, a general, a godlike figure. But what's this nation who has a shepherd for a king and goes by that moniker. Well, that's because in the kingdom of God, whether then or now, power is flipped. And so often power accumulates toward the top and is used for the few against the many. Not so in the kingdom of God. All the way through to the center of the story where our Jesus is a good shepherd. But it's not just a memory where the opponents here in this audience are thinking back to that shepherd that was, strong chances are they're thinking not just past, but also present and future, because that shepherd king was going to come again. There would come a greater David who would be the anointed, the messianic king that would rule for all time. And Jesus is saying here, yeah, I'm that guy looking forward all over the place from the Old Testament, just an example from another prophetic book, the book of Ezekiel in the Hebrew Scriptures. Looking ahead, God says through Ezekiel, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. Now David is long dead by this point when Ezekiel's talking, but another David's coming. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. So when Jesus says, I'm fulfilling all of this, it's registered as a threat by his opponents because it is one. Joseph Campbell was a scholar in the mid-20th century. He wrote the book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, when he looked all over the world and said, there's not a myriad diversity of stories out there when it comes to heroes. There's really one basic story, which is the Luke Skywalker one. When the Star Wars movies used to be good, like episode four, when Luke from Tatooine, he, I'm going to spoil Star Wars for you, okay? <laughs> yeah, you, you, you've been warned. The statute of limitations is long expired on Star Wars spoiler. So anyway, Luke, humble beginnings. 
born out in the middle of nowhere, but discovers that he has a special role in the unfolding of the galaxy, and he goes through struggles and trials and temptations. It looked like he's goner, but then he conquers and brings in, at least until other directors get involved, a new world order. So many stories like that. But what if, and this is the case as we come into the world of the scriptures, all of those stories are the echo, and Jesus is the original. All of these other stories, they're the ectypes, and Jesus is the archetype. He is the good shepherd who will rule. And not only that, he's the door. And in just a moment, we'll get back to what that image means. But if you noticed, Jesus says, when it, comparing himself both to the door and the good shepherd, he uses this phrase, I am, which modern readers will gloss over. But if you've been in churches for a little while, maybe you've heard pastors as scholars have claimed for generations that, hey, wait a second. Jesus uses this I am formula to claim something about himself, not once, not twice, not three times, but seven times, the biblical number of completeness, throughout the gospel specifically and exclusively in John. So we have, as we go through the book of John, Jesus saying I am seven times. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And by using this formula to make these claims, we discover that Jesus is even greater than merely the greater David. We go back to the Hebrew scriptures again. When Moses, the old man of God, first encounters Yahweh, the living Lord, second book of the Bible, third chapter, Exodus chapter 3, burning bush. Moses, take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. Moses, God says, I have a job for you. Go back to my people. Go to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and say, let my people go. Let us leave enslavement in Egypt to get to a better place so that we can worship our God. And Moses says, what's your name? Who should I say sent me? Both to the Israelites and to Pharaoh. And famously, the voice in the bush calls back, my name is I Am. I am that I am, which becomes the basis for the word Yahweh. And so when Jesus claims this formula for himself, he truly is saying, I am. Not just a greater David, but the living Lord himself come in the flesh. And friends, let's think about it this way. We're surrounded by voices all the time, I am only one voice myself out of many. For all of the voices, save one that you will ever hear, those voices come from the same mess that you and I are in. We're all in the same morass. And some of the voices might be better than others. Some of the voices might be truer than others. Some of the voices might be more in alignment with the scriptures than others. But it all just comes from here. But only in the scriptures and in the Son do we encounter a voice from above. A voice that doesn't come within this messy stew of humanity, but a voice that comes from the outside and says, my voice is different because I created you and I love you and I call you by name. 
And to write one more time. In listening to Jesus, we discover whose voice it is that has echoed around the hearts and minds of the human race all along. Jesus is the good shepherd who will have his sheep. Why should we listen to Jesus' voice? Because Jesus' voice is the one that defends and protects us against all other kinds of voices and enemies. Jesus says, I am the door, verse 9. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and go out and find pasture. The sheep guards. It was the job of the shepherd guards. It was the job of the shepherd to make sure who comes in and who comes out from the pen. And also, often, it's the shepherd that sleeps across the threshold of the gate, of the door, so that if a thief or robber would attempt to come in, it would be quite literally over the dead body of that shepherd. Whoever comes in and comes out, that's on me. I am the door. And Jesus protects his children, all of us that come to Jesus by faith, against all of those thieves and robbers and other voices. And we can actually realign what we hear according to the voice of Jesus as we encounter it in the scriptures because he and he alone is the door. And he gives us ultimate protection. As we go through the second paragraph here, there's a narrowing or a focusing that happens. In verse 8, Jesus is talking about thieves and robbers. But when we get to verse 10, it gets singular. One thief. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That thief is the big bad guy, the evil one, Satan, working with his partner, death. And Jesus makes the claim, which is astounding, which to me to this day is faith stretching, but is my, it is your very life. Jesus, the good shepherd and the door says that if you come to me, not even death. Not even the devil will have you, because I do. And there's an offer for great intimacy here as well, verse 14. I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. What a rich Bible verse here, verse 15. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Do you want an analogy, Jesus says, for how I know my children? It's kind of like how I know my dad, my heavenly Father, with such intimacy with such love. This is how I love you. This is how I know you. At another point in John's gospel, a couple different times actually, he uses the analogy of living water. Whoever believes in me, out of him will flow streams, fountains of living water. If you're thirsty, and on a hot day like this, maybe you're thirsty, seek the living water that Jesus and Jesus alone can give. Don't settle. Settle for that voice and that water. Jesus is that good. And we're called to follow. How do we follow the voice of the shepherd? Well, we use as primary tools scriptures and spirit. How do I know? Where, where's the voice of Jesus? Well, it speaks through the scriptures because it's really God's word. So whether you yourself or within your family or within the community of the faith here as we restart home meetings and Bible studies this fall, as we do, all roads lead to Rome. A Bible 101 class starting on August 10th. You see what I did there. To gain more tools to actually know more about the scriptures. And the great thing about Christian obedience as we come under the authority of the scriptures is that it's really hard. 
And this is how you know you're beginning to follow Jesus when you let the scriptures tell you no. Whether to curve a behavior or a thought pattern or a belief system. It's like, wow, it seems like the Bible's teaching this. I'm going to work to try to get an alignment with that. That's the obedience of the faith. And that's where we grow. But it's not just a mechanical thing, so to speak, with the scriptures. We need the spirit. The, the prayer of illumination that is given every Sunday here at Liberty Collingswood has a long tradition going way back into the ancient church, understanding that if the spirit doesn't illumine, light up the scriptures to us, we're not going to understand them. We need the spirit of God to understand the, the things of God and the word of God. So whether we're reading the Bible, let it be a dialogue, a, a marinating. We had good chicken marinade at the Summer Supper Club yesterday. As you read the scriptures, marinate in the Holy Spirit. As you pray to God, ask God that the Holy Spirit would energize your prayer. As you go throughout your days, ask God that you would have an awareness of the Spirit's work in your life in a more visceral way. That's how you hear Jesus' voice. And again, if you're skeptical or not sure where you are with all of this Jesus stuff, would you be open to being wooed by this Savior? Years and years ago, my oldest son, normally I ask my kids permission to, hey, can I tell this story about you? Uh, Josiah's on the high, Collingswood High School Exchange program in Germany right now. He wasn't around for, for me to ask him. So it's a potty training story. Just kidding. It's not a potty training story. But one time, like a cat, when he was maybe three or four years old, Josiah climbed a tree, maybe five or six, and got caught up there. And it was not very high, but he was afraid to, to come down. And he called out to me, Daddy, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. And I, I could tell you that maybe in his mind it felt like I looked up like that, but really I just looked up there. But he was out of my reach by just a little bit. And I said, if you take a step, I have you. Come on down. And he was getting agitated and started to cry and said, you won't catch me. You're not going to catch me. It's really high. I'm going to slip too much. I'm going to fall. I said, Josiah, I have you. Come down. You're not going to catch me. I'm going to slip. I'm going to fall. Josiah, I have you. Come down. I can't do it. It's not going to work. Josiah, I have you. Come down. And he took one simple, flawless step into my arms. What if Jesus is calling you in the same way? If you're already a follower of Jesus, maybe Jesus is calling you to more depth of relationship with him, more mission in the world. I have you. Come down. Why do we listen to this Jesus? Because he laid down his life for you. He's mentioned it a couple times in this passage, but to go back to it once again at the end of verse 15. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Or verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And this blue minds then it blows minds now, where Jesus takes so many that on the surface may appear as disparate threads from the Hebrew scriptures and fulfills all of them. Am I the I am? Yes. 
Am I the good shepherd? Yes. But am I also the suffering servant? Not only the shepherd, but also the sheep that was slain, the Lamb of God. Isaiah talked about this. Speaking of the one to come, it was the Lord's will to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his righteous knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. That's what Jesus did on the cross. You see, Jesus, the door, says, I will take care of death and the devil, and on the cross, I'll take care of your sin. I'll pay the penalty for it. And in my resurrection, I will conquer it and cancel that debt for all time. And that's the voice that continues to go through the world. And that's the voice that we seek to emulate as we live, speak, and serve. As Jesus' very presence here in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, that's our mission. Because we have Jesus' work to do. We'll end here. Verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. At this moment, when Jesus originally said this 2,000 years ago, did he have at the front of his mind, you know, there's going to be a church or a number of churches in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs that are going to carry forward this mission? Maybe not. But in the mind of God, this and other works of this mission were foreseen and authored ahead of time by the Lord of the universe. And so when Jesus says, I have other work to do, so do we. As we name the name of Jesus, in the dog days of summer right now where we slow down but people have a little more margin, we live and speak and serve as the presence of this good shepherd. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.